Welcome to the Evo GK Podcast. Evo GK Podcast. What a save! We bring you the highs and the lows and lessons learned as we talk everything goalkeeping with some of the best in the business. For your ultimate goalkeeping fix, this is the podcast for you. With your hosts, James Howarth and Dominic Bilet. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Evo GK podcast. We're joined by Jonathan Craig today. But before we speak to Jonathan, Dominic, how are we? I'm very good, thank you. And, and thanks for everyone tuning in, listening at home. Um, we hope you're enjoying getting your goalkeeper fix every, every week. And it, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. I'm, I'm loving being on the, on the show and talking to some great guests. I've uh, got another one in John O, you know, different insight, a coach who's working over in India um, and, and done some stuff with Academy as well. Um, and, uh, you know, we've just been working with him at Evo GK. Uh, it was brilliant to see him down there and, and get talking. I can't wait to hear more. Brilliant. And, you know, we're going to speak to Jonathan about many things, about his time within India, uh, a real Kashmir, where obviously he's goalkeeper as well, has had a fantastic season with yeah. the help of Jono. Um, he's got player of the season. So we speak to Jono about that, also about his, his time internationally, and elite academy level as well. So there's many things to talk about with John O. And uh, we're nearly at the end of episode one, Dominic. It's 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 a sad time. That's it. Yeah, series one. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll correct it. It's fine. Series it's fine. one. Goalkeepers are allowed to make mistakes. <laughs> as we've learned from the guests. Series so, one. Yeah. This, this is all raw. These episodes. We don't. We don't yeah. outcut. We we straight yeah. in. It's so. good. No, I, I'm I'm really enjoying it. Like uh, like I've said. Uh, for many people is is yeah I'm not an out and out goalkeeper or goalkeeper coach for that matter but I'm getting more and more insight uh, as an outfield coach is how important the position actually is you know and how different and technical it is and how important it is to work with your goalkeeper coaches and you know it's it's, it's a real community I, I'm loving it I'm loving the podcast as well brilliant and before we we speak to Jonathan Dominic um, our main sponsor Driven Marketing Services. And they're always happy to help businesses market other businesses. So, Dominic, let's dive right in. Yeah, let's go. Jono, welcome to the podcast. You have spent over 20 years in coaching from first team level to international level. Many of our listeners may not know, but you have spent the past year in India with Real Kashmir FC. How has that been for you? Unbelievable experience, James. It was just something for me that was excellent excellent to go to another country to have just a different philosophy to go into as well and with a British page manager with David Robertson so he obviously had his own style within Indian football and that for me was it was a challenge but a great challenge and one that I thoroughly enjoyed and was very successful, very successful time over there before obviously everything hit with the pandemic. Um, but um, going to 85,000 seater stadiums, uh, different challenges at, um, in Kashmir as well, it was just a, a great time, an absolutely amazing time. Yeah, yeah, we're hearing stories as well, John, that you had your own personal bodyguard. Is that is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for some of the listeners, yeah, Kashmir is uh, it's the most militarized zone in India because it's right on the border between India and Pakistan. So, uh, so yeah, we're armed guards, armed bodyguards <laughs> for every training session, every oh. game. Every home game we went to, it was quite an experience. I prepared myself for that and how how I was going to deal with having somebody standing next to me with an AK-47 and me still trying to do my me trying to do my job. Yeah. It was uh, yeah, it was certainly different, different, but. It's all a part of life. It's all a part of football. This is what football does mm-hmm. to anybody. You just go into different environments and they, you just need to deal with those environments. And that, 
Is that and Cashmere. Yeah. Sorry, what was that? Is that sorry? Is that is that become more normal for you now? Do you just see it as like a regular? We're going all as bodyguard, but to you, is that just like you? You've got is that become a normality to you now, or are you yes. still a bit like? Oh. No, right. No, honestly, it took me about a week to get used to it, but then you're just you know that they're, they're there. You know that they're obviously there to protect you if anything happens. <laughs> It was, uh, but as I said, it only took a week to to get used to it. But you're going to shops in Kashmir and people are walking in with AK-47s. Wow. Just normal people. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, well, I'm okay, all right, I can deal with that. It's, but that, that just made the journey what it was, basically. And from the football point of view or the football point of view it was it just made the season even more special and what was achieved from myself and um, my goalkeeper as Mm -hmm. well Furba absolutely unbelievable season for him so yeah and but we obviously had other challenges as well no Wi-Fi no (laughs) <laughs> no phone service couldn't call home mm-hmm. it was very very difficult a major major challenge mentally how was mm-hmm. that transition for you Jono because obviously you know you, you've spent a lot of your career within Scotland and England to then go into a completely different culture you know you're talking about there you've got no uh, Wi-Fi to, you know to, sort of the comforts of home if you like that which, which was more hostile which was more hostile Scotland yeah. or people walking around with AK-47s <laughs> I would say people walking about with AK-47s <laughs> <laughs> most definitely yeah as you just said there James the, the transition to go to somewhere different and try somewhere different mm-hmm. a totally different culture dealing with different players with Obviously, India is a massive religion area. Mm-hmm. So I had to adapt to that and their eating habits, their, their times that they had to pray. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Indian players, it's not like any British-based player that, right, you, you get, not get in their face, but you, you have to tell them. Mm-hmm. Listen, you've got to get up to my standards. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to drop to your standards. And if they didn't do that, as a coach, naturally, I would tell them, come on, it needs to be better. And some Indian players would actually crumble mm-hmm. under that sort of pressure. <laughs> but I was fortunate enough with her about that. He was actually a really strong character. Like, what I found out about him very, very quickly. If you did upset Furba, mm-hmm. you, you wouldn't stick a ball past him for at least the next 10 minutes. Yeah, And that is no joke. He, if players wind him up about a sloppy pass, anything along those lines, and Furba would naturally react and say, no, I'm going to be stopping everything now. Mm-hmm. and see the amount of times during training I've just went to the gaffer watch this Yeah, he's not going to get beat here now mm-hmm. and the gaffer's like no he'll get beat he'll get beat and I'm like, nah telling you this right now see for the next five to ten minutes he will be unbeatable mm-hmm. and that's that sort of mindset and that sort of character I I would say that Furber was more of a European Tight goalkeeper than an Indian tight goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. So, but that just added on to the experience of what India and Real Kashmir was actually like. Yeah, absolutely sensational, unbelievable. Yeah. And you touched out on your keeper that uh, you know provides um, that he actually won the achievement of was it Indian Player of the Year? Yeah. Yeah. So. Not only that, he got into I-League team of the season. He got into both ISL, which is the Indian Super League. The two leagues are side by side. Uh, there's just more money in the ISL. So 
he got into that team of the season as well, which for me is the biggest accolade because he's going against the Indian number one. He's going against foreign goalkeepers as well. And for him, he's only just turned 22, which makes it even more amazing. And like you said, Dom, to get Indian player of the year, that's not just goalkeepers. That's the full shebang. That mm. is every single player from the I-League and the ISL. So, yeah, it was a proud moment. Proud moment for me as well. That went straight on the CV. I wasn't <laughs> keeping that off the CV. And, but everything was down to him. He, he achieved these, these awards and these accolades because of I'm listening to exactly what I wanted them to do to be in a be in a team that has a specific playing style in possession and out of possession. And he had the second highest save percentage. He only got beat off of it was the Indian Arrows goalkeeper, and Indian Arrows are basically an academy team. There's nobody over the age of 19. So naturally, their goalkeeper was going to be busy. But Furbaugh had a, a 44% safe percentage. Mm-hmm. And then the Arrows goalkeeper had 46. So it just shows he wasn't far off. That And we were a team that we would naturally go deep within a back four. So worked a lot on his shot stopping, worked a lot on his overall technique with his movement to get in line with the ball. Also worked a lot on positioning from wide areas uh, because we always went into a very narrow back four. So we were allowing crosses, cutbacks, balls fired across. So naturally movements, different safe techniques, either blocks, parries, deflections, reaction saves. That's what my training and my coaching was really based upon because I knew right away, right, this is the way we like to play. Furbar had to tick these boxes and from day one, wow, just, I can honestly say throughout pre-season and the games that we played, he played over 20, about 24, 25 games, I would point my finger at two goals. Yeah. And that's pre-season and the season. And that, for me, at any level of professional football, that consistency is absolutely unbelievable from such a a young kid, Mm -hmm. a young goalkeeper. But uh, he took to me right away. So I was lucky. I was very lucky that way. And unfortunately, I'm... I've lost them to an ISL club because they can pay more. It just is what happens in football. But he's went to Mumbai City, massive club. And I think if he shows the same sort of performance, level of performance that he showed with me then and Real Kashmir, then this kid will be an Indian number one yes. for years to come. Yeah, that's brilliant, John. And you stole the question right out of my mouth on that one because I know we spoke off air and um, obviously I know you mentioned that he's, he's moved on to another club. Um, how excited are you to, to be working with the two new goalkeepers that you brought in though? Can't wait for that. Uh, there's a lot of pressure because this is the first time that I've, I've picked one of them. Mm-hmm. It was my recommendation. There was a lockdown was actually quite good that way because we eventually got Wi-Fi at Christmas, <laughs> so I didn't have that problem. So there was a lot of scouting and just on Insta, watching Mithin, who signed now from the club called Trow, who are in our league as well. And when he played against us, I thought to myself, yeah, you're, you're really, really good. Really good, a great size, very good athlete. He's, uh, he's been involved in the professional game in India for a number of years. So he was, he was the right type. He ticked the boxes as far as his shot stopping was concerned. The safe percentage was through the roof as well. 
his overall domination of his box. Obviously, these are things that I needed to look at and I liked what I saw. So it's really exciting because I love putting pressure on myself because the gaffer will soon tell me, you've picked him, he's your choice. He needs to be up to the level. He needs to be just as good or if not better than Furba, which is would be tough. But I know looking at Mithran, he's he's got every attribute to go on and do really well for us this season. And also brought in a younger goalkeeper, Anuj Kumar. He's he's been about in the Indian leagues as well. Didn't see much as far as footage and what his, his overall attributes were like as a goalkeeper, but it's very difficult in India. Not every single game and every single player will get highlighted. So trying to find footage for these guys was proven difficult, especially for Anuj, but uh, no problems with Mathan. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to the challenge and just seeing right, what Mathan and Anuj are going to bring under myself, obviously, because I'm going back out there with the opinion that I've produced a goalkeeper and Furba, who's gotten all of these accolades. So if Mithan or Anuj, whoever's going to be first choice, if they don't get these accolades, then I haven't done my job. So they're going to have to get right up and at it as well. And it's a short league as well. So they need to hit the ground running. Yeah. 100%. So, yeah. A bit of pressure for you there on your return, John. That's always a good thing. Um, so, we're, we're going to obviously go back before I get international. And you've, you've worked with elite academies uh, in, in Scotland, you were telling us about as well. And um, what's it like as a coach? You know, you're in a slightly different role now. How does the role where you're working with the academies, how does that role differ to what you're doing now? It's a fantastic question, Dom. Really good question. Thanks, John. Obviously, Thank you, man. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, in academy football, it's all about development. It's development for the kids. It's in Scotland. We were well, the two clubs that were I was based with seven years at Hearts. Loved my time there. I was full time as well for three seasons of the nineteens, twenties reserves worked with some fantastic goalkeepers, international goalkeepers, also uh, experienced pros as well. So you're really looking at the development side of things now from when I went away in national camps to what it is now being a first-team goalkeeping coach. You're These goalkeepers have got all the technical attributes you test them tactically as well, where with the kids, you've got to you've got to nurture them properly. You need to you really need to guide them along because goalkeeping is such a technical position, as we all know what a nine year old can do, maybe an eight year old can't. Mm-hmm. So it's how you, it's a process for them and within their own development as well. And it's really, really, it's really good for me to go that. I, I've done that. I've produced international goalies. I've produced first team goalies as well. I would name one Jack Hamilton. He, I actually scouted him. Uh, he was at um, James's old club, his Dennis Muir. Mm-hmm. He came and played against Hearts. Names up there for you. Little names <laughs> up there for you, James. You've talked offline. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's on me. Uh, he um fourteen year old playing against our under seventeens. And my academy manager, John Murray, said, I want you to watch this boy. And as soon as I saw him. He was six foot two at 14 years old. And I'm like, right, okay, let me see what he has. 
I was still a young coach. I was looking at things more on a technical basis and a tactical basis. Would they have fitted into a heart style of play? And he he broke our hearts. He absolutely mm-hmm. broke our hearts in that game. And I went to John and I said, grab him now. Because mm-hmm. I'm telling you this right now, he is an international goalkeeper in the making. And he was two months with me in the academy. And he got into the Scotland squad under 16s. And he's went right through to A squad. Yeah, it's brilliant. So, yeah, so that that for me was just brilliant, absolutely brilliant, because he developed so much. He was this raw kid, uh, a size six foot two, fourteen years old. Mm-hmm. He played. He played for our under nineteens against Rangers and against Hibs in a cup final. Never looked out of place, but he naturally had development needed. Mm-hmm. So he took everything on board, used his size brilliantly, and he's now at Dundee in the Scottish Premier League or the Scottish Championship. So he's made a fantastic career for himself already. So yeah, but as you, with your question, Dom, it's international football or first team in India it's totally different because international football, you're, you're preparing for games, you're preparing for qualifiers. Yeah. I was fortunate enough that I'd done one, one trip, it was just a friendly trip, have a good look at the goalkeepers, and then my next trip was European qualifiers. And we got through to the next stage but then all the big hitters came, all the big teams came, and yeah. unfortunately we didn't get beyond the next stage. But uh, to look at the goalkeepers that I was working with, who was going to fit the bill, who fit the bill as far as basically playing, and you were just getting them ready tactically. Yeah. So in international camps, you're away, I was away 14 days, we played three matches in those 14 days. We don't have a lot of time to, to prepare, to prep. It's, so you're really hitting on the, the tactical side of things. How do the other countries play? Mm-hmm. What's going to be our game plan in possession, out of possession? So I had to relay that to the goalies. And it was very, very, it was just like, like a short, sharp session, basically. Mm-hmm. That you had to cram in everything as much as you could because you didn't get much time. Yeah, didn't get much time at all. Totally different now being a first-team goalkeeping coach. Um, I've done it part-time at Berwick. Successful there. East Fife. Uh, that was my first time in first-team football as well. So still learning as well. You, you get so much time to watch, prep, what you're going to do as far as when the game comes round and how you're looking at how the other teams play. Mm-hmm. I thought that would have been the case at Rio Cashmere, but <laughs> when you've got no Wi-Fi, you can't watch, you can't watch games. <laughs> you can't watch Wi-Fi, do you? you can't watch Wi-Fi. What's your thoughts, John, on, on Sc- Scottish football itself? I know, speaking from a personal point of view, you know, I spent a, a short time at St. Mew, as you mentioned, and, and to be honest, I absolutely love my time there. I had a lot of problems in terms of uh, football anxiety, um, which is now obviously more spoken about now, which wasn't really spoken about, you know, four years ago when I, when I decided to leave the club. Um, mm-hmm. So what's your thoughts in terms of Scotland overall? Because I know from, like I say, from a personal point of view, I absolutely loved uh, the whole the whole thing in Scotland. Scottish football is going through, it's a major transition period with everything that goes on in Scotland. Like we're, we're always in the papers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, me being a big Rangers fan, we're trying to stop obviously Celtic getting 10 in a row. So the, Everything comes into it. We had the hearts debacle with everything that's went on as far as their sales getting relegated, Partick Thistle getting relegated. But there, there is hidden gems in Scotland, not only in, not only in goalkeeping, 
but in other in other areas, there is major hidden gems. Chelsea went and got one of them, and mm-hmm. Billy Gilmore. He came all the way through the Rangers Academy, and it doesn't surprise me one little bit how good he actually done once he got his opportunity at Chelsea. So there is major gems in this country, and but Scottish football needs to get its own identity again. I hate saying it. It's I'm a passionate Scotsman, and for a country like ours not to be in a major tournament for the past 20, 22 years, mm-hmm. 1998, the last time we were in a major tournament, that's too long. Yeah, That is way, way too long. So I think from a football point of view, if a football coach, we've got to look at other countries and take it right back. Start off with the coach education, go right through, go right through the full thing. Then adopt a playing style, a playing philosophy that's going to suit the players that we have. And just just become what Scotland always was. Mm-hmm. Passionate, hardworking. We always had pace and power. And just be really, really difficult to beat. And I think that should be the blueprint for everybody, yeah. basically, in Scotland to then produce the next batch of Scotland international players that are going to get us to World Cups, European Championships as well. Personally, I think we've got the right man at the helm, Steve mm-hmm. Clark. His pedigree is just through the roof. The time at Chelsea um, under Jose Mourinho, what he done at Kilmarnock, absolutely unbelievable. So I think the future's bright, but we need to get back to having our own identity again, as far as the national team is concerned. Mm-hmm. And I just hope my team can uh, <laughs> start Celtic getting 10 in a row. And that'll make me really happy. <laughs> How do you think, obviously you talk about ranges there, John, and, and, and you know, from, from a, the, your lad who's grew up in, in County Durham and, and, and supported Newcastle and obviously the English League, when, and I think it will be the majority of the case for most people, you always have like a Scottish team or who's your Scottish team? And it'd be like Rangers Celtic because... Generally, that was the one, the, the match, that the, you know, the old derby that everyone would watch. And, and you know, it when sort of Rangers faded with it, 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 do you think a lot of attention went away from, because it, unfortunately, I think a lot of the time, and I don't think it is the case now, it was looked as a two-horse race. It was either Rangers or Celtic, and that everyone yeah. looked at that, and that's not me being unfair. I think everyone would think that uh, growing up, it was either Rangers or Celtic. You either spotted Rangers or Celtic and they were the ones yeah. that were going to win the league or, or do the competitions. Do you think that is changing? And do you think, How do you think that, that will change? Because surely, you look at the Premier League now, there's, you, you talk about the top six, like Liverpool, Tottenham, and, and now it's finished. Them teams haven't even got in. So it's so competitive. How does Scotland match that as a nation? And how important is that? <sighs> I think it's massive. I think it's absolutely massive. It's a fantastic question again, Dom. It's thank you, John. Thank you, mate. Thanks. <laughs> me don't, don't, <laughs> don't keep praising him. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> no, I think unfortunately, obviously, in Scotland, you've got the financial side of things as well. Rangers and Celtic are obviously the two richest clubs. Yeah. Dom, like you're talking about in in England. You look at the top six, Liverpool, Man City, Man United, Chelsea, Leicester, Wolves. I think that's the way it finished up. You've got Tottenham. You've got Tottenham in amongst that. These sort of clubs could bypass Rangers and Celtic tenfold as far as financial power is concerned. So in Scotland, it's difficult for your likes of your Aberdeens, your Hibs, Hearts, who are a massive, massive club, should never be playing in the Championship next season. Huge club. They should be in the Premier League. Dundee United, who have just came up, who have got a rich 
pedigree as well. Yeah, These sort of clubs will never challenge Rangers and Celtic just because of the financial power. Because yeah. is that because the gap you think is so big? Yeah, between them. Yeah, and the proof in the pudding was when Rangers obviously went into liquidation, mm-hmm. had to start again, come all the way through the leagues. Celtic were winning leagues by 20, yeah. 20 odd points. They were, yeah, they were, they were winning. They had leagues won by March, mm-hmm. sort of time. That's unheard of. Yeah. No, that's unheard of. Now anybody can beat anybody in any given game, but I think the past two seasons, this season especially, I thought watching Rangers against Celtic on three occasions, even being in India, still got to see a few old fun games. And I looked at Rangers and how how competitive Rangers were against Celtic. And then when it came to the Christmas break, my team were there. And I thought, yeah, beauty, I'm going to get my real Kashmir and my Rangers league double here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely delighted. But then I don't know why. But that's been the past two seasons now that Celtic, after the Christmas break and the winter break, they've yeah. just went strength to strength and really kicked on. And that that comes down to a mindset. It comes down to, obviously, financial power and can they go out and sign more players in January. Yeah, it's and Unfortunately for my team, they just faded away. And that, it just shows you. Mm-hmm. It just yeah. shows you... The golf right yeah. now, I think Stephen Gerrard will win the league this season. Mm-hmm. I honestly do. <laughs> and I hope so as well. But with what he demands from his players for what I've heard is just absolutely through the roof because that's the way that he was. Yeah. Naturally, Neil Lennon on the other side, I was fortunate enough to be at Hibs when he was at Hibs. Funny story about the gaffer, yeah, we always played Heidi tennis at, um, just after lunch. And when I was going in, helping with the first team every now and again, uh, unfortunately for me, I was always chucked on his team with his assistant, Gary Parker. And I swear to God, even if it wasn't my fault, I would get absolute pelters. Be like, <laughs> come on, Jono, come on, Jono. The most daunting thing ever. <laughs> Been on a, a court with Neil Lennon and Gary Parker, yeah, because of what where these guys have been and what they've done and the experience that they have. We've we've so, seen your head tennis, Jono. We've I'll, seen- I'll <laughs> beaten you, Jono. Come on, <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen. Never put me with Dino again, sorry, big guy. But <laughs> Jono, so just James, you talk- the- Scottish football, sorry, before we uh, talk about the amazing head tennis skills, we'll yeah. talk about that as well. Yeah, um, so. You know, Rangers Celtic, so we're talking Rangers Celtic, right? So I'll put you in charge now here. It's your decision. Would you move, and I don't know how it would work, we won't go into that, I'm sure everyone at home would say that. Would you move Rangers and Celtic into the English Premier League or, or say if they had to go into the Championship, or would you move them across... Because obviously you've got teams in Wales that have done it, and and would you move Rangers and Celtic across? Hundred percent. For me, as a football coach and a and a passionate Scotsman, moving Rangers and Celtic across to the English Premier League, the English Championship, would only better our Scottish players, our young players as well. Again, look at my time at Barnsley going against Cat 1 Academies and how the Barnsley kids as a Cat 2 Academy just raised their games against like Leicester, Everton, Newcastle. That would naturally happen if Rangers or Celtic came over to England and because anybody in the English Premier League and in the English Championship, the competition is so high yeah. The standard of the players is absolutely through the roof. So, naturally, players, even experienced players, would naturally develop as well and become better all-round pros. So, from a football football point of view, I think it would be a great idea. It also gives 
the other teams in Scotland, Habs, Hearts, Aberdeen, Dundee United, just to name a few, the opportunity to actually go and win leagues, compete for leagues. Yeah. And naturally it would make the league even better, I I think, because Rangers and Celtic are just that far in front of everybody else. I think Motherwell finished third in the league and they were 21 points behind Rangers. Yeah. That just shows how big of a gulf it is. And Rangers finished, I think, 10 or 12 points behind yeah. Celtic. And it's almost not entertaining. Like, I, I, you know, don't get me wrong, there's been, obviously, with, with everything that happens unavoidable this season with COVID. And, and, but when Liverpool had run away with it, I found I had stopped watching, kind of, yeah, I know there's a big thing that Liverpool haven't won it for 30. And I get that. But kind of like when a team runs away, you see all the Sky Sports and BT, they switch to, oh, who's going to get fourth place? Because they know that once that title race is as good as done, even if it's not finished, if there's a big gap, that's the big exciting thing of the end of the season. Like the the biggest Premier League uh, excitement was when Man City won it the the last last minute. Because that's where you think if you're going to get in Scottish football, if that's going to be the case every year, then you can understand why there's not that buzz because, you know, it's not like yeah. if it was down to Celtic Celtic Rangers, Hearts on the last day, even if you're supporting an English club, you'd probably watch it and probably go, oh, who's going who's gonna to win that? You know, but if it's, if, yeah. it's all, if it's done, like you say, if it's done months away, then it's kind of like, oh, well, and it undermines what they've done as well. Exactly. Exactly. This is the thing. And we all know in football, every, Everybody needs to be competitive. Mm-hmm. Like when teams, as you say, don't, if teams run away with it, just even, even as a fan, as a football fan, yeah. it's, it's came back, it's been brilliant to watch games and everything, but you're like, Liverpool are that far in front. The exciting part was that Man United were so far behind. They've caught up to Leicester in the past two games. And they've obviously finished in the Champions League. Aston Villa, Bournemouth, there's a wee bit of excitement as well. But it's not always been like that. And I think football in general, if Rangers and Celtic were to come over to England, it would just make it even more exciting, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, definitely, John Owen. And as you've already mentioned, um, you know, your academy pedigree, one of the, one of the hardest things, obviously, as an academy coach, must be the releasing of players, especially them players that you've had from, you know, a very young age that have kind of come all the way through with you. How was that process for you as a coach? To start off with, it was very difficult because you're not only you're not only dealing with the kid, you're dealing with the family as well. You're dealing with the parents, and they would love their kid to be the next whatever they want to be, Ronaldo, Messi, whatever they want to be. And then they, they, they kind of feel that as a football club, we've taken that opportunity away from them. It's very, very difficult. Very difficult. Uh, I wouldn't wish that upon any coach to sit down if you, like you said, I go... I go through a number of seasons. I did develop the kid as far as his technical, his tactical, even his social as well, and his mindset, everything, his physical attributes as well, working side by side with the sports scientist to try and get them to a level that's going to be good enough. And I hate it as a goalkeeping coach because you can have a technically wonderfully gifted goalkeeper who has everything in abundance, both technically and tactically, but he's five foot ten. Mm-hmm. They are the toughest ones. Those are the toughest ones because you know fine well if this kid got the opportunity, he wouldn't let you down. But because of genetics, because of that, they're not hitting the six foot to six foot three sort of guidelines, they're they're never going to be considered. And I've actually seen goalkeepers with 
less technical ability, less tactical understanding of the game, but being six foot three, six foot four, and went on and actually had careers, but they were nowhere near the same standard as yeah. one of the kids that I especially worked with my time at Hearts. Unbelievable goalkeeper, but now he stands up five foot ten, five foot eleven. And he would never go on. In Scotland especially, Scotland especially, I can, off the top of my head, two goalkeepers, one, and I've worked with them both. Um, Scott Bain, who's at Celtic, he's six foot one. And Jimmy McDonald, who was at Hearts, and he's just signed for Rafe Rovers in the Championship. He's six foot, six foot one. They are the exception to the rule. But, who can never forget Andy Gorham, mm-hmm. Fabian Barthez. You now look at the current ilk of David De Gea, six foot two. Allison, I think he's six two as well. Ederson, same. Hugo Lloris, who I, I love, I love watching him play. He's six foot. Yeah. yeah. So it's in football nowadays, it's just you don't need to be a Peter Schmeichel, yeah. a Courtois size. Wayne Henderson at Crystal Palace, who I think is six foot six, six foot seven, you actually find that the smaller goalkeepers who are quicker, who are more agile, who are tactically wonderful as well, will play in front of these guys. So if any academy personnel listen to this, I would say, listen, give them time, especially in Scotland, give them time. If they get to 5'11", 6 foot, and they've got all the attributes, technically and tactically, then give them a, every opportunity, 100%. Is there, is there things you can work on, John? Or the, obviously, I know uh, the, the guru, I'll call him the guru himself, uh, Steely, uh, the camp worked on well, what are they good at? What are the keepers good at? So that you can't change their height and their genetics, as you've said. But you look at, uh, and I'm not suggesting he's small, I don't know how tall he is, but Jordan Pickford. But the, then you look at his agility and his speed to get the ball and they say, well, yeah, he's not big, but actually he's... And, and Bartes was known as quite like athletic himself, wasn't he? And, and, and chucking himself about agility-wise. Um how 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 much you think that can be looked at? Whereas old school, like you say, keepers are just known as big, tall. Whereas how much is that keeper yeah. actually changing now? That it's more about agility. Can you burst and get up to them areas? Yeah, I think it's it would be one of the first things that I look at as a goalkeeper coach, and uh, especially and do they fit into the playing style? I'll go back to Ferber again. It's six foot one. Very, very athletic, very quick, reactionally quick as well. So I think nowadays in goalkeeping coaching and just coaching in in general, it's fitting, it's a goalkeeper or a player that fits the bill that will come into a team and enhance that team. So if you need a goalkeeper who needs to be an outstanding shot stopper. He needs to be lightning quick off his line. He needs to be reactionally quick. These are the sort of things when you're developing young goalies, it would be the first things that I would be working on because of the modern day game. Nowadays, it's so quick. Uh, So the goalkeepers naturally need to be quick. They need to be athletic. And it would be something for any coach to, if you're working at under eights, under tens, all the way up to first team, you can always develop physical size of, of a goalkeeper, which is, I'm not just talking about physique, but I'm talking about how quick they are and how quickly can they react to situations inside the box, outside the box, deflections. It's all, it's all a totally different ball game. So you need to be athletic. I look at Ter Stegen. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. Once again, not the tallest. Just under 6'2", I think. 
not the tallest, but wow, it's like he's got springs in his boots. <laughs> so it would definitely be something that myself as a goalkeeping coach and as an experienced goalkeeping coach as well, you, you would have to work on it right away, right away to get them up to that level. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant, general and. For our followers uh, and listeners that don't know, um, you have worked on a number of occasions for us in Evo GK. Um, how have you found working for the brand so far? <laughs> oh well, I'll tell I'll tell the listeners the story and how it all happened. And I've obviously I came down and, and saw the the conference, saw the the way that. Obviously, yourself, James, the way it all worked, and then we kind of touched base from there. Social media, Facebook, just phone calls, messages, and then I was fortunate enough, my time at Barnsley, you came down, you watched me with with Lee. Yeah, You obviously liked what you had to see, and I was doing a one-on-one session. That's right, I <laughs> so, remember. Yeah. yeah, with um, Big Henners. So it was... For me, when you gave me a call before I went out to India to help with your camp and the general feedback that I got from yourself and with what you were saying about the parents, I absolutely loved my time working with yourself. Dom, obviously, I met over the past couple of days. The rest of the coaches, it's it's something that I actually treasure and look forward to yeah. and something like this doing bits and bobs even when I was in India for the Facebook messenger group it just shows how good you are as a brand in my opinion and it's it's been excellent for me and it's, it's enhanced me as a coach as well because I'm working like you say, the past couple of days we've done, or Monday and Tuesday, we've done two coaching days, very, very successful. And I'm rubbing shoulders with the guru himself, me as a coach. When I started out, I never thought I would be sitting, having a conversation with Eric Steele when I knew who Eric Steele was. And that just shows, for me, what the brand is like. You've got Steele at... Parksy Tony Parks had Chris Williams down as well from Man City, absolutely immense coach. Danny Coyne as well from Middlesbrough, Carl Darlow. Like it just shows how big the brand is for me, and it's for any young goalkeeper or young coach. I would highly recommend it to anybody. Yeah, no, either academy or grassroots. Yeah, no, thank you very much for that. And what a, what a lot of our parents and goalkeepers might not even see is what we had Monday night of, you know, coaches meeting. I know Eric ran a live Q&A for the coaches. We had some food um, and, you know, we just spoke all night about goalkeeping. So not just for the goalkeepers and the parents, but also for the coaches as well. You know, we want to try and make yeah. it that family-orientated feeling for them and, and that welcoming feeling, especially when you have Steely leading a lot of the things that he does, you know, you know running, yeah. e- even when we finish the sessions running the live Q&As, doing the things that he does, you know, always keeping, uh, always developing the coaches, even away from the grass. And, and and he's brilliant for that as well. Yeah, no, 100%. 100%. And with that, with the level that he's worked at and the people, the managers that he's worked with as well, yeah. obviously working with Sir Alex and I've heard stories about Sir Alex from my manager, David Robertson at Real Kashmir and it just shows how good Steely really is that somebody like Sir Alex went and got him yeah. and got him in and despite what's happened to David De Gea this season a wee bit of inconsistent what he he done for David to start off with I think he he won four or five um, player of the years mm-hmm. and he was under Steely. He was obviously under other goalkeeping coaches as well. But Steely was the one who went, watched him. Yeah. yeah, this is the guy. This is most definitely the guy for Manchester United. Yeah, and he's proven yeah. that. And it just shows how good Steely really is. Yeah, and the English FA are very fortunate to have him. 
mm-hmm. and just doing all the coach education and it's yeah it was a brilliant time yeah on Monday and Tuesday especially being the only Scotsman there so <laughs> 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 so and um having a wee bit of an Indian background as well so <laughs> yeah no um no evolution steely James yourself Dom everybody I can't speak highly enough about you. Absolutely immense. And for me, being an experienced coach, as you say, being in this game 20 years, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely immense. Immense company. So, highly recommend it to anybody. Thank you very much. Um, we, we, we won't mention head tennis, sir. <laughs> no, 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 no. Dino, Dino, if you're listening, that's aimed at you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I, I think you're right, and, and and you know it was great to watch you work as well, John. You, you mentioned mm-hmm. everyone else. It was great to great to see you working, and and the players certainly enjoyed it. Um, from someone you know like myself, from what's nice to see, and everyone listening, um, goalkeepers obviously have it's well documented. I'm I'm an outfield coach, and I, I come in, I work with goalkeepers, and and look at the distribution, and and then I get an insight from how managers and outfield coaches can work with goalkeeper coaches better and we can incorporate into both games. So so yeah. that that's my side of it. And what I, something I've seen is coaches naturally do it. I think I think I I, I would say good coaches all have the community where you share ideas and you talk positively. But what's nice to see about goalkeepers is you do have an understanding of how tough it is to be a goalkeeper. And there's a real goalkeeping community. And I, and I think this is why I love doing this podcast because I, as a non-goalkeeping person, I get an insight into what this community is like. And, and how, how strong is that, that? Do you know what I mean? There, there is a real, if you're a goalkeeper, you're like in, in the group, if that makes sense. It's a real yeah. positive community. Yeah. For me, I wouldn't even call it a group. I call it a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a family. Being a goalkeeping coach and being especially specialised in the position as well, it's so tight knit. It really is. See if you get a good goalkeeping coach yourself. You've obviously got James in. Best appointment that you'll make all season, <laughs> yeah. in my opinion. I'm just, I'm just putting that out there. Uh, He's definitely but... talked to you before. <laughs> <laughs> spend, we'll drop spending more time with him. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. said it's a family mm-hmm. being a goalkeeper coach you you're the head of the family you're looking after your young ones and when I was starting out I was obviously classed as a young goalkeeping coach but I'm turning 13 on Tuesday <laughs> so I'm not classed as a young goalkeeping coach anymore so my that has always been my belief is these boys are like my sons, they're like my brothers, they're like my best friends. I need to look after them. Yeah. And to have a manager like David Robertson and managers and other coaches I worked with in the past, they've they've always taken that point of view. Sometimes that uh, you have to argue the goalkeeper's point, and all you get is oh, you're only looking after the goalies. I'm like, well, that's my job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my job but on the other hand some amazing coaches time at Barnsley was unbelievable with under 23's coach Martin Devaney I still speak to him today he was absolutely unbelievable because he bought into the way I was with the goalkeepers yeah. and it was very very important as well because you need that buy-in so Dom, I hope you're writing this down. You need to incorporate James with everything, mm-hmm. absolutely everything, because the way modern-day football is nowadays, I just, earlier on, watching Swansea against Brentford and Mark Magnusson, who's obviously the Swansea goalkeeping coach and he's the England national goalkeeping coach. He does all the set plays, defensive set plays for both Swansea and England. Yeah. You don't get that unless... Gareth Southgate or the Swansea manager actually believing right he's looking at he's looking after his side of things 
his goalkeeper who's playing doesn't matter he has to look after them mm. so hence the reason I say it's not a group for me it's a family yeah it's a family and like any family you, you have your disagreements <laughs> you have you, you have your conversations but at the end of it you always come back again and you always stay close tight knit and at the end of the day I'm not wanting to better myself as a coach. What I want to do is better any goalkeeper with it being a nine-year-old to a senior pro. I want to make them better and I want them to feel relaxed within the environment. Yeah. And if you're relaxed, you're part of the family. So Totally agree, Jonah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, Jono, what we're going to do? We're going to end it on. We're going to we're going to let you talk to your football and family um, of, of goalkeepers. So, for Jono, for any young aspiring goalkeepers, and you'll have worked with a lot of them at Evo GK on on Monday and Tuesday, and it's it's great to see. And I'm sure they'll be listening now. What's your advice to uh, to any young aspiring goalkeepers out there who are listening? Work hard. You can't you can't work hard enough. It's that is that's how you build. That's how you build as a person. That's how you build as a goalkeeper. You you must work hard. Listen to your parents. I can't emphasize that enough as a coach because your parents are your best friends. They're your mum and dad. They take you everywhere. They take you to your training. They take you to your games. So once they give advice, listen to them. When you're in and on the grass, taking everything as from your goalkeeping coach, use everything. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of the day, you're the one who's playing. If it works for you, use it. If it doesn't work for you, then come away from it and Myself, if if I'm their coach, I wouldn't have a problem with that because then I'll identify that, okay, that certain technique doesn't work for them. So totally change. Never, never given. You will, it's not a straight path to become a professional football player or a professional goalkeeper. There is going to be bends in the roads that, you're going to have to jump major hurdles as well to get to where you want to get to. Never lose faith in that. And I take that from my own experiences as a goalkeeping coach. Mm-hmm. What's happened to me in the past made me a better person, made me a better coach. For any young, inspiring goalkeeper, take a negative, but use that as a positive. Go and use that to drive yourself on, to be the very, very best that you can be and just have an utter will and desire to not only push yourself to the limits, but to push yourself that you'll never stop learning. Even if you get all the way to international squads, professional contracts, whatever it may be, never, ever stop pushing yourself physically, mentally, always be the best at every training session. Always be the mentally tough one as well. And also smile and enjoy what you mm-hmm. do. Can't emphasize that enough. We're we're a goalkeeping family. We're nuts. We're off our heads. So <laughs> yeah, you need to be like that. <laughs> so yeah, but that would be my my advice to any young goalkeeper, any young athlete, yeah. if you've got these attributes, if you continue to work hard, listen to your parents, look after yourself properly and just have the, the drive and determination to be the very, very best and get your bed in the morning and tell yourself that. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing advice. So uh, I'm sure everyone listening will, will take something from that. Um, Jono it's been great having you on mate thank you so much for taking the time to come talk to us and talk to all the listeners at home no it was my pleasure 
Absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much for having me on. It's absolutely superb. Absolutely. Top man, thank you, mate. And you know, for everyone listening, there was, there was a bit in there for everyone. There's 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 talking about Scottish football, there's there's uh, an inlook on the uh, Indian and, and academy level, international level, uh, and some great advice. Uh, John, we appreciate that for the young goalkeeper. It's not bad. Thanks once again, mate. Yeah. No, no problem at all. My pleasure. My pleasure. And the last thing that, that I would say as well, um, I'm an accessible goalkeeping coach. That So if you ever want to get in touch, I'm always happy to give advice on anything whatsoever. So uh, if you're part of groups with Evolution, you can get in touch with me directly, Facebook, whatever it may be. I'm always there to help coaches, young coaches, young goalkeepers, whatever it may be. So that's no problem. I'll always make time to help anybody. Absolute top, top man. Well, again, yeah, if you need any advice or you get in contact with Jono, definitely, definitely get in contact. Absolute top. Well, thank you very much, Jono. And thank you for everyone that's tuned in and listened once again. Uh, I'm sure you enjoyed it as much as we did. We'll catch you later. What a day! Thank you for listening to the Evo GK Podcast. With your host, James Howarth and Dominic Bylet. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Evolve with evolution.